coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. If I was growing up in Charleston, do you think you and I could have been friends uh, as kids? No, we couldn't have. So I'm in between both of you because my dad is black and my mom is white. Did we steal the car that we thought we could have? Did we steal the clothes that we thought we needed to have? Did we rob someone? Do we sell drugs? What do we do when life doesn't turn out the way we imagined it as a kid? I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to drugs. I was a drug dealer. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, Even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you saying thank you for all your grace and mercy. As we continue to reflect back over our lives, we just see how you've been there for us, how you protect us against seen and unseen evil how you allowed us to make decisions, but not always get the full brunt of our erroneous decision-making. So God, thank you for taking care of us when we didn't have enough sense to take care of ourselves. So we thank you and we praise you and we will give you all the glory and honor as we continue to do for others what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray and believe, amen. Amen, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for opening doors. Uh, many times you open doors for us and want us to go through and we're reluctant uh, because we say we can't do that. And uh, by us trusting you and doing the next thing, uh, it becomes very obvious that the barriers that we mentally thought weren't there, that you break them down and you make things happen. And Lord, we just uh, lift up our guest today, uh, Justin Bushy, uh, who's, who's going to be teaching at our summit. Uh, November 4th, and his subject is identifying youth going down a troubled path. And uh, Lord, you know that Odell and I could very easily have been those kids. Um, And uh, we just lift up the fact that you've opened doors for us to go in a different direction. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time that we're getting to spend uh, here on the podcast today. Lord, I'm honored and I'm grateful to uh, take part in this. I pray, Lord, that number one, it would lift up the name of Jesus Christ, but also, Lord, that someone that's listening to it, God, it would be a, a help and an encouragement to them uh, during whatever uh, season of life that they're in. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you're just you're worthy of it today. So, Lord, we say thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bill, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, Odell. Do you have a good week? I'm, I'm down in South Carolina, you know, um, doing some things, taking care of my mother, and we're in the house. And when you think about the house you grew up in as a child and the neighborhood, as I ride down these neighborhoods now as a 60, 62-year-old man, I think back that as I walk these streets as a 6-year-old, 8-year-old, 10-year-old kid who didn't understand and all the the paths and the turns that one could have taken, you know, and we just thank God for grace and mercy. And I'm just so excited about, you know, the whole idea of identifying youth going down the wrong path, you know, the wrong trouble path, because Lord knows I went down some paths. And as a child, you just don't know any better, Bill, or maybe you do know better, but you don't understand consequences associated with our actions. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, as you were, you were talking about, Growing up as a youth, and I grew up in a youth in Parma and uh, with uh, the oldest of eight and 66 first cousins within walking distance. 
uh, there was always trouble somebody got into uh, one way or another. And it, it just occurred to me, if, if I was growing up in Charleston, do you think you and I could have been friends uh, no. as kids? No, we couldn't have, because in a lot of cases, Bill, during those times, you're a little older than I am. When we went through certain neighborhoods, we used to call it the white neighborhood, they would throw rocks at us. And, you know, certain areas you had to go through certain neighborhoods. So it wasn't that type of environment. The environment was you didn't know the unknown. And if you knew someone or if they didn't come from your neighborhood, then you had to protect your neighborhood from them. So we probably would not have been friends, Bill. Uh, but at the same time, God's grace and mercy, we are friends now and Amen. we'll go from there. You know, so you guys, they, you, you had rocks thrown at you. Did you throw rocks back? You have to. Yep. You threw rocks back and then you figured out because we had to go from our neighborhood to the shopping centers through the white neighborhood. So you realize how to do it. You just leave early, early on Saturday mornings. You walk through there before the kids are outside. And by the time they recognize us coming through the neighborhood, we ran and just kept going. And it's just like anything else. When there's a situation, you find a way around it. You know, because nobody wants confrontation, but at the same time, one wants to defend themselves. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned about throwing rocks. Uh, the uh, I when I was growing up with our cousins, we, we had a, 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 a woods in the back. We called it the creek. And it was um, and it was a big creek. And, and it was it was down about 60 feet. And uh, there's a lot of shale, and a lot of rocks. And uh, we'd go down there and play and catch salamanders and fish and do all that stuff. Uh, but one of the things we used to do is we used to have rock fights. Mm. We would throw rocks at each other and we were the same color. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, did you ever remember throwing a rock and hitting somebody? Oh, yeah. You throw rock hit people. You throw a rock and hit a window <laughs> and you take oh, off yeah. running. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. And I definitely want to hear our guests. But when you think about one's imagination as a child, you know, we had imaginations and you imagined anything. And that's the beauty of being a kid. Or, or youth, you can imagine anything, but then you get older and those imaginations turn to visions where you could say, hey, I could envision myself being the president of a company owning this or owning that. But what happens, Bill? What happens, Odell? You know, what happens, Justin, when all of a sudden those things that we imagine does not come true? And so do we do things from other means? Do we steal the car that we thought we can have? Do we steal the clothes that we thought we needed to have? Do we rob someone? Do we sell drugs? What do we do when life doesn't turn out the way we imagined it as a kid? That's interesting. Um, you talk about selling drugs. You know, when you're a kid, you're talking about wanting to make money because money provided you, what, shoes and clothes and things. And when you don't have any money, and you find a way to make money, and sometimes it's illegal, but you're making a bunch of money, you get caught in that cyclone. I agree. You know, one thing, my grandfather, and I thank God for him, he taught us how to work. Uh, he, We had a lawnmower. We would go around and cut people's yards. I asked people if they wanted their yard cut. We would collect cans and bottles. We would do all kinds of things. And he was real good at not giving us things, not a handout, but a hand up. So you thank God for mentors, whether it's family or not. Those who set an example about hard work pays off. And I'm sure Justin has a lot to say about, you know, what's the difference between the kids who make the bad decisions or the unwise decisions and the kids who don't. Amen. Hey, you said you cut grass. Did you have a push more or is it a yeah. gasoline? No, no, no. We had a push more one, one, the kind you just push and had the little like blades on and make that little sound yeah. and a go. And then we were big time and we got one where we could actually put gas in. You couldn't tell me nothing, <laughs> man. We had a real lot. You're an icon, huh? Hey, listen, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. you know, you know, you in my shed down there, you brought back from South Carolina a push more and it's in my shed. And you told me to keep it for you. I still got it. I know. I know. I need to get that from you, Bill. I forgot all about it. But when I was down there in Abbeville, South Carolina, I saw it. And it reminded me of when I was a child cutting grass in those um, 
I don't even know what you call it, but you know, those moors where you just pushed it and kind of go from there. So do you think Justin know anything about that kind of more bill? No, I don't think Justin knows anything about that kind of more. I think, uh, he's, he brought, he was brought up in the gasoline area. Justin, come on into the podcast. Yes, sir. How you doing today? We're doing good. So what do you know about lawnmowers? Um, I know that I have a big yard and I mow a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about the ones, the old school. I mean, I've seen them, I've used them just to mess with them, but, uh, uh, we did grow up with a push mower. We, uh, we didn't have a self-propelled, but we did have a gasoline. Let me tell you a key uh, about a push. Let me tell you the key about a push mower. If you were cutting somebody's grass and you had a push mower, you were hoping they didn't have any hills. Because right. <laughs> you had to push that thing up the hill or even down a hill. It was hard. You wanted somebody had flat land. Well, look, folks, Justin's on, on our podcast because we're going to have all the speakers from our summit on. And uh, summit's November 4th uh, in, it, in Greensboro at uh, GTCC at the Cameron Center. And uh, Justin's going to talk about uh, identifying youth going down a troubled path. And uh, he's with the Rock of Ages Ministry, and uh, you can look that up. And it's a big ministry. There's a lot of a lot of folks that work in that. Um, I, in fact, when I went to look up Justin's name, uh, it you know the usually they have pictures of all the ministers. Well, there's so many of them. Uh, they have uh, the the letters of the alphabet, and you can click on a B, and up will come all the ministers that are last name is B, and. Uh, uh, Justin is a picture of him and his, I think five children. Is that, do I have that right? No, sir. We just had it well on that picture. It is, but we just had our, our sixth living child and we've had one pass away. So we've had seven all together. Wow. Congratulations on, uh, having six children. That's fantastic. And sorry but, about the one that passed away. Um, yes, sir. Well, thank you. Yeah. The, uh, um, the, uh, the, you don't see large families like that anymore. So, how, how, how do you uh, manage that? Because that's a lot of people. Um, well, uh, we just take it one day at a time. Uh, the Lord has blessed us tremendously. I've got a wonderful and faithful wife. Um, and my wife grew up and she had, it was just her and her sister. And uh, I'll probably get into more of my details of, of my life. But um, I grew up with just a sister for the beginning of my life. So we both had small families we grew up with, but uh, we really wanted a bigger family. and. We've never really put a, a cap on that. And so who knows when we're, where we're going to stop at. But um, every day is treated differently. There's going to be different um, challenges, different um, uh, experiences we're going to go through every single day. And we learn from them and grow from them. And, and what are the ages? Um, the, the oldest one that passed away would have been 12 this year. And then it goes uh, 10, 8, 6, 4, um, We've got one that will be two in November, and then the newest one is a month old. Wow. Wow. You, you do have a handful. Holy cow. I remember yes, I remember. I, I have three, and I was a single dad with the, uh, with the two, and they were in diapers and in car seats. And I'll tell you what, just getting them in changed and bathed and fed and put in car seats, full-time job. <laughs> I can't imagine as many as you got. Wow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, we, we travel a lot too. So it, it makes it even for even more fun. So you travel for your ministry, you travel about. Yes, sir. Um, this, this past year, we traveled about 50,000 miles on land and we've done about 12,000 in the air last year. Wow. Um, this year, uh, we slowed up at, um, when the baby was going to be born. But other than that, uh, we were on pace to set even, even go further than that this year. Um, in the first six months, we traveled about 30, 35,000 miles in the first six months. And, and what is the travel for? What are you doing when you travel? Are you going to churches, ministries? What are you doing? So uh, we're doing a, little bit of, doing a little bit of it all. So we schedule with pastors across the nation um, to go in and present our ministry um, because I don't work a secular job. Um, what I do is I minister to uh, churches and not only minister to churches, but of course, my calling is the prison. So we go into different churches across the nation. Uh, we present the ministry, and that's how we receive prayer support and financial support. Um, and so we go in, we do that. But also, if it's an area that I already have a clearance to go into the prison, we will minister in that in that area for the prisons that we're going into the area for. Um, so um, we've been 
literally from uh, New York all the way down to Florida this year, and we've been as far as Texas already. And um, next, the week after next, we will actually start heading out towards California, and we'll be gone for a few months, um, be on the road the entire time. Um, the experience is you live with a family in a motorhome, and that's kind of what we're doing now. Um, uh, it's more economical, but it's also a, it's a time for us to bond, but it's a good time. Um, we're trying to use what the Lord's give us uh, very, uh, uh, very wisely and trying to be good stewards. And so, um, like I say, and it's, it's interesting because you're not having to live out of a suitcase that way. And so the motorhomes has made it a, a stepping stone for us. Uh, but yes, we'll, so we'll go around, we'll visit churches. Uh, sometimes if we don't already have something scheduled, we'll drop into a church. Um, and it's a good opportunity for us to present the ministry, uh, tell them what we're doing, our specific, because there is, uh, with all those individuals, missionaries through our ministry, uh, everyone does something different. Um, some may go to just men, some may go just to women, some juveniles, schools, military. There's a wide, um, wide range of what we're doing. So you got ten, eight people in a motorhome. What size is this motorhome? It's 33 foot. Wow. So your home is 33 foot by probably 10 foot? No, they're, uh, they're about, well, they have to be, they have to be street legal. So they're about eight, eight and a half foot wide. So that's your mobile home with eight people. You travel 50,000 miles a year to do your ministry. And if, if folks in our podcast wanted to donate to your ministry, how would they get to do that? How would they reach out? Well, we, um, there's multiple different ways. The easiest way is to actually send it. We have an address, um, that we would, we would, we want people to send it to, and it's Rock of Ages Ministries. It's at P.O. Box two, uh, 2308, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, and it's um, two, three, or 37320, and just include either our name, uh, the Bushy family, or include account number 276, and uh, it, it will be donated, or it will be notated to our account. And, um, and that's just the easiest way, uh, that way individuals can get, um, can get, they get tax, um, I, I say a tax receipt. I don't know what you actually call it, but that way they're credited for that. And also, um, it's just a good way for them to be able to track the, the donations that they put in for the year. Oh, um, and so, yes, sir. Now, do you send out a newsletters or do you, or does that come through rock of ages communication? No, sir. So. So Rock of Ages are mission board, um, but we are we are individual missionaries. Uh, we we work kind of under the umbrella of Rock of Ages per se because of Rock of Ages started as a prison ministry. It goes into the schools now. We do prison prevention. Uh, we want to see the youth not go down that route. Uh, we of course are are very hard pressed in the prisons. We also work with the military. Um, we've got a Bible college. There's m- multiple different things there. Um, but uh, in regards to uh, each individual um, and with the mission board, so they, I, we do send out a prayer letter. Um, that's what we call it. Uh, you could call it a newsletter. I guess that could be a good word too, but uh, we just call it a prayer letter because we include some prayer requests on that. And every month, um, what we like to do is we send one out monthly uh, to all our supporters um, who have taken time to support us. We send that out every month to let them know uh, what's going on, what's transpired the last month, what's coming up this month, uh, just to keep them informed. I tell people it's our lifeline uh, because they may not be able to reach out to us personally. I may be in a prison. We may be in a church. I can't really talk at the time and keep everyone up to date individually, but I can let them know kind of as a group. And so that's how we do that. We send it out once a month. Oh, that's great. Justin, years ago when I first started my ministry, it was prison ministry and um, chaplain in the local hospital. And I just remember the whole prison ministry thing and did it for years. And it's, it's families. It's just not one individual who may or may not have made a mistake. It's families associated with it. So can you tell us about one or two very unique situations where the family, because obviously you're a family man, where the family was touched by how you ministered to their loved one who happens to be incarcerated at the time? Okay. Well, um, I won't give specific names, but I will tell you, um, just recently I had a man, um, it's been, and I say just recently, uh, we were out of the prison. I had to preach by way of radio for about, about two years during 
during the start of COVID and up until uh, earlier this year. Uh, but we had a gentleman get out. Um, he was uh, he was one of our faithful guys. He was faithful in the service. Uh, we we created a great bond with him. Matter of fact, uh, we were doing transporting. Uh, we actually transported inmates out on Sunday morning out of the local prison, and we would take them to uh, church with us. And right. so we did that for for about a year. And during that time, we of course we we befriended many different people. Um, but one of the individuals, uh, we still keep in close contact with him today. He's he lives down in the Charlotte area, and um, anyways, he has uh, his family has um, reached out and actually touched basis with us because of the impact we had on his life. Um, and so, um, like I say, without going into too many specifics on that, um, because just because of legal reasons, I don't want to. Uh, overstep my bounds there, but um, his his we've actually met his family, um, his his uh, wife. We've met his kids. We've met his um, his mother, and just to see how it's impacted him, how he's been. The statistic right now is seventy seven percent of all of all incarcerated people when they get released will go back in. Well, he he lines up in that twenty three percent. He's doing good, and so it's a life that we've got to invest in. The life that we've got to see. Um, him continue to stay faithful. Um, and then I think about an individual that was just one case, but had a man many years ago, it's probably been about six years ago, this individual, uh, we were giving testimonies there in the prison and we were having an impact on this man's life. We were discipling him. Um, I don't know specifically, I led him to the Lord, but someone had led him to the Lord and he was being faithful. He was growing. Um, but this individual stood up, we had a time of testimonies and I said, I said, does anybody got a testimony in here tonight? And this individual stood up and he said, I thank God that I'm in prison. Well, uh, needless to say, all the other inmates sitting in the chapel that evening looked around like, man, you're crazy. Sit back down. Why would you say something like this? And, you know, he caught my attention immediately when he made that statement. And I said, brother, I said, do tell. I said, talk to us a little bit about it. And um, needless to say, this one individual, he said, you know, I've been incarcerated X amount of period of time. He said, I've been locked up here. He said, but because I've been locked up here, he said, I come to know the Lord as my personal savior. I said, well, praise the Lord. He said, but that's not all. He said, my family comes and visits me every weekend. He said, and so my wife and my daughter come every weekend. They come and see me. They come during visitation hours. And I said, well, that's great. He said, well, um, he said, well, my daughter had noticed something different. She's nine years old and she noticed something different about her daddy. And she, she began to question her dad. What, dad, why are you so different? I remember when you went in. I remember, you know, I remember even talking to you beforehand. And here you are now. And he began to literally just begin to tell her what Jesus done in his life. And how him being hit by him born again now. Uh, and how God had changed his life. And through that transformation, um, yet again, it's one of those stories where he got to lead his daughter to the Lord right there at a visitation table there at a prison. And so uh, when you impact the inmate, of course, you impact the family. Um, I still believe in Acts chapter number 16, verse number 31, where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And so I believe if we can ever affect and I believe in reaching the men, I'm, I'm very hard pressed on reaching the men, the adult men. Um, I, we do we do uh, minister to women and I do minister to juveniles occasionally, but my heart is for them adult men. I feel like they're forgotten. And because of that, it's opened up new opportunities, and we've seen families touch through that. You know, thank you so much for that. And I remember, Bill, when I would go in there, and you go in there, and they, they slammed it, not slammed the door, but they slammed the door behind you. And you know that you're being locked up in prison when you go in there and minister. And Justin, I haven't thought in years, I just remember we used to sign guys out on Sunday mornings, and all this kind of stuff. I haven't thought about that in years. It just, you know, take them to church then take them to dinner or lunch right after and then take them back and building those relationships. And it's just, it means a lot. It just means a lot because a lot of times, especially adult men, uh, society look at them like, Hey, um, this is punishment. You know, this is punishment. You did it. Whatever you did, I didn't do. This is punishment. But now, Bill, help us understand the whole thing on identifying youth going down the wrong path, the trouble path. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. I was going to ask Justin, what, what do you anticipate covering on that subject in your breakout session? Well, a, a big a big portion of it, of course, I'm going to go down my my testimony and really where where I've been brought up through. Um, y'all made mention of many different things, and so between what you said, Odell, and what you said, Bill, 
what's interesting about that is um, the, the color of your skin. I'll just I'll start there uh, because, you, you know, of course, you had brought that up to begin with. So I'm in between both of you because my dad is black and my mom is white. Um, so where you talk about the different things going down and, you know, going down those streets and stuff. Um, I can say from my standpoint, it, you had somewhere to at least identify with. You had wow. either the white side or you had the black side. I had no one to identify with because being biracial back in the 80s um, was something that um, wasn't, wasn't, it still wasn't accepted. Um, I know because, like I say, without going too depth on my testimony to begin with, but my mom had even, um, even contemplated abortion because of, um, here we go down this route. You know, she knew kind of what was going to be coming her way and it wasn't going to be accepted. And so that's, that's um, of course, you know, I can't get away from the thing of race because of who I am. Uh, but then uh, different subjects, of course, um, I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to drugs. I was a drug dealer. Um, I've been locked up numerous times, um, you know, and then to see where, where since coming to know the Lord, where I've, where I've been, but where I'm heading to. And so there's many different things. And honestly, and truthfully, um, I'm trying to narrow that down. There's so much that I could talk about. I know my time will be limited. Um, and so, um, you know, I want to highlight some areas some things I think we all struggle with. Identity is huge. Um, even to today's society, um, we see people that just, they can't identify. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to hit on some of those issues and some of those subjects and just try to try to be as relatable as possible because I can relate. Um, I'm not speaking on someone who thought about or who, who, you know, has read about somebody else. I've been through this, has been through these things. Wow. That's an gr- unbelievable testimony. I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know, you had been incarcerated and uh, been a drug dealer and an alcoholic and all that. Uh, you've come a long way, my friend. Yes, sir. Um, and sadly enough, all of that took place before I ever graduated high school. Wow. Um, I, I went through every bit of that, um, being locked up, um, different charges, uh, felony charges and things of that nature. Um, and so, like I said, I've been down that road and there was a crossroads in my life and it was around age 16 where I got diagnosed with type one diabetes and, uh, was battling, you know, I, I, I tell young people, um, and even, even when we get even upper uh, and upper in age, um, we, we, we hit crossroads in our lives. And one for me was at 16, because now you've got freedom. You can get behind the wheel. You're working a job. You know, you're thinking about college. You're thinking about some things going on. Uh, you're trying to think about the future a little bit. And, um, I've all, I've told young people, especially people around the age of 16, because they're going to get off Their Mom and dad aren't going to be with them no more. They're driving a car by themselves. They're going to work. They're, they're going to be able to make decisions. And, you know, no one's overseeing that no more. Like my kids right now, uh, my kids, other than going out in the yard, they're with me at all times. Um, right. So, you know, when it comes to making a decision, they don't make many decisions. Um, when we go through the drive through, you know, do you want the hamburger or the chicken nuggets? Um, <laughs> that's their decisions, you know, and I, and I mean, I have a responsibility as an adult and as a parent to make sure that my kids are making the right decisions and not making the wrong decisions. So um, definitely, definitely that was huge in my life. But uh, uh, like I said, I made mo- I made a lot of my wrong decisions and praise God that they were when I was younger. Um, yeah. And so there was some time to fix that. Now, um, I don't know how much time we got and I, I don't know if I've got time to get into all of it. But at 19 years old, um, I went into a coma and I went into a drug overdose. Um, uh, and as far as I know, I left, I left this earth. Um, they hooked me up to machines to keep me even alive. And so, I mean, I wasn't even guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow today. So, uh, but, uh, there's a lot of things that happen. So like I say, um, I could take this full hour and just give you testimony and not even touch on all the things that have happened, but. Wow. Well, Justin, real quickly, how does it feel when people who knew you then, see you now some people still haven't really got to that point yet um that's that's one of those things um i actually preached a message in the prison the other day on what's real uh speaking on saul of tarsus before he was converted to paul and i spoke on that and the the thing is is people were going to look and 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 just in that story of him that people couldn't believe that here he was crucified or you know persecuting the christians and now here he is preaching christ 
And so back in the day, I had dreadlocks down to my waist. Um, I, I probably weighed 145 pounds, maybe. Um, I was strung. I tell people I was strung out, drung out, and hung out. Um, <laughs> you know, I was messed up on all different levels. And so for someone to see me today, um, you know, they automatically associate me with that. That d- doesn't that d- d- that doesn't know my testimony. Uh, but I was, you know, I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. Um, you know, I was I was very unruly. Um, if you could think of chaotic and think of somebody causing issues, that was me. Um, I would stir anything up. Um, I would cause problems. I was um, I wasn't super violent, but uh, it wasn't something that would be put past me. Uh, you know, I didn't walk away from a fight. I wouldn't. I was constantly trying to stir stuff up. So uh, for people to look at me today, some people still haven't grasped that. Um, they're just like, I don't know. And for me personally, I'm not offended by it. I guess when I first got saved, I was a little bit more offended by it. But um, to this day, I'm not even, it just gives me a new opportunity to talk to somebody on, on, a, on a level. But, hey, this is where God brought me from. He can do the same for you. Wow. You know, uh, we, one of the things we're going to talk about the summit are, uh, uh, adverse childhood experiences. And it sounds like you had your, a, a ton of them. Uh, and one of the things we're going to talk about also is resilience to those and how to make kids resilient to those adverse childhood experiences. Who stepped in your life to help you through this? I don't know that there really was, honestly and truthfully. Um, I, if, I, if I give credit anywhere, it's going to be my wife. Um, we, she was the one um, she, she was never, she never really promoted anything that I did when we were dating. Um, now she didn't stop me from doing it, but she wasn't promoting it. Uh, she knew the, the wild that I was. And, um, I was kind of, I, I was an individual that was, I guess you could look at it. I was a firecracker. Um, I was a box of TNT that was un, un you didn't know when I was going to blow up. You didn't know what I was going to do, but if I had to say anybody, my wife was definitely probably the most, most influential because, um, she stood there by my side and here we've been married 14 years now. Uh, we've been together almost 17 years and she stood by my side the entire time, uh, through thick and thin, um, when I should have been left for dead in different situations. Uh, so I, if I given credit, I give credit because of my wife, um, that just stood in there with me and didn't give up. She didn't give up on, on me. And so, uh, definitely she was inf- uh, influential in my life. How did you meet her? Or how did she meet you? So she was a freshman in the high school when I was a senior. And um, uh, she had, she, she had, she had, she had found me before I had found her. And uh, she initiated a conversation. Uh, We began to date for a short period of time. Um, I didn't really feel like it was going anywhere. And so we, we broke, we broke ways and um, uh, something, and I would say someone, uh, but something drew us back. Um, I had just graduated high school. She was, um, she was a junior and, uh, we got back together and started dating again. And so needless to say, uh, that's kind of how the relationship went, but, uh, we met in high school. Well, it's interesting that, um, Justin is so much of what you talk about. I can identify with, because I thank God for my wife who really helped steer me out of some things that I was doing where she just said, no, what you're doing is not good. This is going to turn out to be very, very negative and I can't participate with you there. And uh, it's just one of those things when you start thinking about youth. So when you look at a youth who's going down the wrong path and especially when the youth, no one asks the youth, well, why are you going down this path? How did you get on this path? Not that you're a victim who hurt you, but who, who discouraged you, you know, and I know when I was going down my path, I can talk a litany of individuals who along the way uh, wasn't always as supportive. Some would always say, you're going to turn out no good like your daddy, or you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And and a lot of these individuals were family members. Uh, A lot of times people don't talk about it, but some of the worst hurt can come from family members, but also from church people, because for people in the community who knew you, or knew me, and now all of a sudden, Odell's a preacher? People are like, what? Odell? You know, and it's like, nah, leopard doesn't change his spots, and you hear all these things, and the big secret in Christianity is Christians can be cruel at times, and very self-righteous at times, and that's why we need Jesus. Amen. Odell, has anybody ever told you growing up that you're going to amount to nothing, or 
always. Yes, always. A lot of people really? told me and a lot of family members told it to me because that's kind of how people are, Bill. You know, a lot of times uh, people are very judgmental. And when you are in a position where you are behaving a certain way, other people think that, you know, they have the right to um, not prophesy, but say, you know, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. Even in schools, you know, the teacher's like the most likely to succeed, but they never say, hey, this is the one that's most likely going to end up in prison. But a lot of cases, the prison pipeline is established or estimated uh, as a performer of how one behaves in third grade. So it's all tied together. Wow. Justin, do you have anybody tell you that you weren't going to amount to anything? Oh, yes. Uh, like I say, I, I've being being biracial, um, I've I've and where I live at here in North Carolina, uh, North Carolina is still a very much racist state. Um, no matter what anyone tells you, um, there's areas that I've seen just just extreme racism. So I've I've heard it from both sides of the of the fence, for that matter. But I also grew up in a very abusive home uh, where I was physically abused growing up. Um, so, uh, you know, not only were we physically abused, but we were verbally abused. Um, and so I grew up in that type of an environment and not just from family. Um, honestly and truthfully, I can't relate to Odell saying church people were the ones that were abusive towards me or, you know, discouraged me in that matter. As an adult, I've seen that from a different, from a ministry's perspective, but growing up, uh, the church was always the most encouraging place I could be, um, now, I probably would say even to this day, it wasn't the type of church that I needed, but um, it was uh, it was people that were always trying to speak good into my life uh, versus um, my family life versus um, just kind of where I grew up at, uh, being on the streets or being in a neighbor's house or something like that. Now, I mean, I've heard I heard so much negativity, um, you know, and that just puts a, a cloud around you, I guess, to say. Um, that you can't and you'll never amount to nothing because you've heard that so ma- so many times. But um, I can also say I'm grateful that I grew up with a mom who kept me in sports and sports was a big part for me because of, you know, you always heard that you can do it, you can do it. You know, we always had good, uh, good uh, coaches that were just very encouraging. And so they were instrumental in my life and uh, always reminded, you know, I can't give up. Um, you know, I got to keep pressing on. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. So you did have uh, your mom and some coaches that were positive influences in your life. Oh, I, absolutely. My, my mom, my mom, now my mom's not perfect. No, no one is um, only the Lord Jesus Christ, but my mom um, was very, very, she wanted to make sure that I went down the right path and she really tried to press for that, really tried to press for that. And she done the best that she could. Um, I believe that to this day, my mom done the best she could. Um yeah. There's there's definitely some choices that, you know, looking back as a parent now um, that I said that I think, well, mom could have made a different choice. But, you know, I wasn't in her position and I am with her circumstances. And I, I believe she done the best that she could in the situation she was given um, in the situation that she was in. So um, I always, you know, I uplift my mom on that. I'm grateful for her. Um, like I say, without mom, I wouldn't be here today. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful for. Uh, that she tried. She really did. She tried. Uh, I remember my mom working two jobs. Um, I had a stepdad, but I remember my mom working two jobs uh, just to make sure that everything was going to be met. Um, And, you know, um, and I'm grateful for that. We didn't see her as much as we probably wanted to, but I can, I can go back and tell you of times where we just spent time, me and mom on a Friday night watching Nick at night and just spending time watching the, I love Lucy's and Dick Van Dyke's and, uh, stuff of that nature and just hanging out with mom that she knew those shows. She grew up with those shows. So we would just spend time together. Um, and, you know, she worked a lot, but we did. She was very influential in my life. Yeah. That's helped you become resilient. Well, Dale, I got a question for you. You said yes. people told you you weren't going to amount to anything. What did it make you feel like? Well, it was always, I'll prove to you that you're wrong. How do you like me now? You know, those type of things. But again, Bill, at certain ages, you look for people in authority and you believe what they say. Mm. So how do you deal with that? Because I, I look at it from a perspective of as a child, you know, a child went through a lot of experiences 
uh, whether it's the aces or not. And then as a young person, but you still have that child inside of you. So a lot of times I will say to that child, come on, we did good. Come on, let's go. Let's keep moving because you never, I never want to forget how that felt. But at the same time, it allows me to have sympathy and empathy of other people who are struggling because I was blessed to be poor and now I'm not poor anymore. And I was able with God's grace and mercy and a lot of people's help to do it within a generation. A lot of times um, it takes generations to combat that. And a lot of times the penal system, especially for African-American male in the South, the prison system is very familiar. And so I think that having been blessed through sports, much like Justin talked about through sports, it took on a different trajectory for me because I wasn't quote unquote, your typical poor black male child. I was quote unquote, a basketball star and society treats uh, black athletes different, even from the peewee ages. If you can play a sport, you're treated differently than if you can't, in my opinion. Well, well, I can tell you, I remember exactly when and who told me that I wasn't going to amount to anything. I was 22 years old. I was in Washington, D.C., living with a congressman. And uh, uh, he told me, he said, Bill, you're never going to amount to anything. And wow. uh, that was pretty powerful. For It's the first time in my life I ever heard anybody say that to me. Because uh, I came from a family, a large family that encouraged you. You know, we, we didn't have a lot, but they never, never tried to bring you down or talk negative into you. Um, so that was the first time. And, and this was a powerful, powerful individual. And um, it, when he first told me, it kind of took me back because I've never heard those words before. And, uh, um, and I thought, uh, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe I won't amount to anything. There you go. There you go. Going on that same topic of, you know, those that, that told you you couldn't. Um, Odell reminded me of something right there about the rebellion. The reason I even grew out my dreadlocks was at a pure out rebellion of my mom who told me, no, you're not going to grow that hairstyle. You're not going to have that. And one day I just told her, I said, mom, I'm just not going to cut my hair no more. And, um, and she was like, well, you're not getting dreadlocks. You're not getting dreadlocks. And I was like, okay. And so my hair began to grow. And because the texture of my hair, it began just to, to knot up. And I tell people I just had naturally nappy head. <laughs> and um, so anyways, my hair began to grow into knots. And I mean, I washed it regularly. So it wasn't like it was unclean. It was just like if you didn't comb it. It would be a tangled mess. And so I began to grow that out. But um, I can relate definitely um, with what Odell was saying about that whole rebellion, because that's what I did. I mean, if you told me I couldn't do it, I can go back to times in my life. If you told me I could not do it whether it be physically, whether it be a mental thing, I was going to do it or die. Um, I, I can tell you some stupid stuff that I did uh, because somebody said, you can't do that, Justin. And I did it anyways. Um, you know, and that goes back kind of what you said there with that congressman saying that to you, those individuals that spoke into Odell's life on, you know what, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. When someone tells you you can't automatically, there's a resistance. And I believe I believe part of that stuff, that fleshly nature that's, that's, that we are. And you know what? It says, I'm going to rebel against that. I'm going to fight back. Um, we, we have to understand that the flesh is something we battle with every single day, and rebellion's part of that flesh. And so, um, you know, even as a Christian, though, I still battle. If somebody says, no, you can't do that, automatically I want to go and do it. Um, now I have to be minded if, if it's an authority or whatever it is that, you know what, I've got to pay heed to that individual. Um, you know what, they, they're the one in authority. They may say, no, you can't go this way. Well, when they tell me I can't go that way, automatically I want to go that way. You know, it's kind of like seeing the one-way street signs. You're like, man, it may say one way, but it's faster to go that way. So I'm just going to go ahead and cut up the road anyway. Um, so, <laughs> and, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but but that that whole rebellious attitude, and that's, that's what dri probably dri driven me more as a young man um, and even as adolescence was that rebellious attitude. Uh, anytime someone said, you can't, I'm going to show you that I can. Um, and it didn't matter. I would move heaven and hell to make it happen. You know, it was going to happen. Um, and so that was something that, that drove me as a teenager, 
Um, you know, I was one of those kids, and I don't know how poor you were, Odell, but growing up, I was one of the kids that when everybody else had the Michael Jordans, I went to the pick and pay, and mom spent $20, and she got me the Air Jordan lookalikes. And then I went to school, and I thought I had something, and they would pick on me and just make me feel like a pure-out dog because I couldn't afford the $150 Air Jordans. And so, you know what, I got what looked like them and probably, honestly, truthfully, were probably made from the same factory. And <laughs> looking back, it's probably made from the same place and everything. But they didn't have that Michael Jordan on there, you know, with the ball in his hand. And so, um, and, and that was kind of the driving force because that helped me play sports more. You know what, you can't do this. There's no way you'll be able to do this. I mean, I can remember in basketball, you know, um, and not being braggadocious by no means, but I, I was one of the leading scorers on our team. And what that was from is someone saying, you can't do it. So, you know what, that put more determination. I'm going to work that much harder. I'm going to do that much harder to, to do it. And, I mean, we can use that as a good tool in some terms, but we have to be very careful with that kind of attitude because that can lead to going down the wrong path. And, Justin, you're, you're absolutely right. And one of the things about sports, sports is out in the open where people – don't allow their bias, prejudice, and stereotypes to affect one's behavior. And let me explain to the audience. A lot of times in life, I found that people will do things behind the scenes and put their finger on the scales. And even if they say you can't do it and you're doing it, they can find ways to sabotage it or make it seems like you're not doing it. Or they can give you nicknames. You know, in my community, certain nicknames meant certain things. Of course, everybody's familiar with the N-word, but it's more, it's more than that. It's a lot of people will try to give you nicknames, white and black, to kind of deter or help write the narrative that they want people to think about you. One of the things that fueled me when I was in college was always the idea that I couldn't come back home a failure. I knew what home was. I knew what the hood I grew up was in was about. And I went to college. Odell's going to do great things. Well, you can't come back home a failure. So running away from the fear of failure has fueled me and has always fueled me and probably still fuel me today. So at the end of the day, uh, I think, and I'm not going to say we all, but we all have demons. We all have skeletons. We all have things that's happened to us in life that reminds us. But also we know that for many of us, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus has covered so much of what was done, whether it was done intentionally or not, whether it's the relationship with my father or the lack thereof, or the relationship with my mother who I love, just a lot of stuff that you have to deal with and you have to make sure that those things doesn't bleed over into your relationship as a dad, because a lot of times you're like, okay, when I become a father, when I become a man, God, I'm going to do it this way and that way. And you all heard the uh, the TikTok in the background because I'm at my mother's house and she has this clock. And, you know, all these memories mean so much when you're back home. Like I stated earlier, memories. Justice, how do you feel when you go and ride through the old neighborhood? Does those memories come back? So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I took my kids for a trip the other day. Uh, to a downtown area where we grew up. We were there for a few years. We lived there. And so as we drive and we're in different churches, we're in all areas. And so I'll take the family. We moved around quite a bit as younger. And so I'll take the family and I'll ride through some of those neighborhoods. And I tell my wife and I've told my kids the stories we've been through there. Sadly enough, many are not good stories. Uh, I can remember some horrible things. But, you know, there's times when I can remember some good things, too. And so I could pick out some things and tell the kids, hey, we went down here. Um, I took them one time by a baseball park um, just up from the road from where we used to live at. And I took them up there and I said, this is where I broke my wrist for the very first time. And so, you know, that's a bad memory. But in the same time, it's like, hey, that's when I broke, had the first broke bone. And so when you drive through some of them, that it brings up memories. Um, and, you know, um, I'm grateful that we can learn from our past. Um, you know what they say, if you, if you, uh, if you don't learn from your past, you're doomed to repeat it. And right. so, um, I, I try to, I, I've tried to do that. Um, can I say I'm the number one best dad? I can't say that. Can I say there's, there's work that needs to be done? Absolutely. Every single day. But I can say this, I've tried not to make some of those mistakes in my own life. Um, you know, and by God's grace, um, you know, and, 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 and by his mercy, 
Lord willing, I'm not going to go down that route. If I start to see myself leaning towards something that I grew up in, and it is, it is, and I can understand where people say it's hard to break that. It really is, especially when you've been under that bondage. Um, and, you know, you've been under that all your life. That's how you were taught. That's how it was ingrained. And I think, I think that's even, we see that in our society even today, uh, where people are just taught a certain way and taught to think a certain way. And, you know, if we can ever get past that and see as what happened to me in March of 2008, when the God gloriously saved me and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, and how that changed my life. Uh, when I go into a prison, I don't see an inmate that has committed a murder, has committed a rape or has committed a theft or whatever their crime may be. But now I see a second Peter chapter three, verse number nine says, I see an individual. I see a soul, not a sinner anymore. I see a soul that God wants to see saved and go to heaven. And so, you know, it, it gives me a different viewpoint on individuals that I had never had before because um, we can all say to some extent we stereotype people. Um, every one of us does it. And for someone to say they don't, that would be a bold faced lie. Everyone does it to some extent. Um, I bring people brand new into the prison and I'm like, I want to break you. I want to break stereotypes to begin with. I said, you're going to be surprised when we walk into this building and it fills up with people wanting to come to church. I said, because what you're thinking is, hey, they're in prison. They don't want nothing to do with church. And when we feel it and when the whole room fills up and these guys come in and they're excited about hearing, hearing the preacher get up and preach and they're excited about singing some songs and they're excited about the worship. I mean, we, we break stereotypes. I love to do that. I love to break stereotypes because uh, we've got too many stereotypes in our, in our nation and in our world we live in today. So, Amen. Amen. Hey, Justin, did you know your father very well? My mom and my dad didn't have a very long relationship. So by the time I was born, as far as I know, my mom had showed them, showed my mom, showed my dad and my grandma, they seen me one time. Um, and I, throughout the years, I wondered who my dad was. I had multiple stepdads, but I wondered who my dad was. Well, it all came down to, I was 20, 20, 22 years old, standing at the altar, going to marry my wife. And um, we're, we're looking across each other in the church. And I look across the, the congregation out there and I see an entire room full of white people and one row of black people. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, I've never seen these people before. Who is this? Um, she said, it's your dad and his family. Wow. And my wife was behind the scenes working this out so I can meet my dad. And I met him on my wedding day. Like, I mean, I've already got, you know, the butterflies and everything else going on. I'm about to marry the love of my life, but I'm about to meet my dad for the very first time. Wow. Um, and it's, it's kind of crazy because me and my dad look so much alike. Um, you know, there's no way of denying one or the other, me being his son or him being my father. Uh, we look so much alike. Um, but we met when I was 22, 22 years old. Um, we had a we had a relationship for a short time. I wouldn't say we have much of a relationship anymore. Sadly enough, some petty things have broke us apart. Um, I wish that it would continue where I stand uh, spiritually, where I stand in, in my beliefs has definitely separated us. Um, but honestly and truthfully, I'm not backing down. Um, you know, I love, my, I, I love that I have a father um, and I would, I would love to grow, grow the relationship, but you know, that's, completely the balls in his court in, in regards to that. But I didn't meet him till I was 22 years old. So, um, you know, uh, that was definitely difficult. And even that, that relationship has still been estranged because, you know, how do you start, how do you start when you're a grown man meeting another grown man? And how do you start this relationship? Because it's not just, we just want to be friends. You are my biological father. And so that was, that was a little bit difficult because I always knew my mom. Uh, you know, I grew up with my mom. I had, Three step, I had three half sisters growing up, and then I found out when I met my dad that I had two half brothers, um, and so you know I didn't know my brothers at all, and so that was that was definitely it was definitely a challenge. Wow, that's a story right there. You know, it's interesting. We had a a fella on uh, Calvin Pierce. Uh, he his dad was the number one white supremacist, and uh, he Calvin and his brother grew up in an abusive situation. And uh, when Calvin got older, older um, he was worried that uh, possibly he could he could have kids that could turn out like his dad. Um, and so he had, he went and got a vasectomy so he couldn't have kids. Oh wow! 
that's pretty well, intense. It's interesting when you think about it, as we wind down on time, one of the things that Bill always asks about, how, how do you find common ground? Uh, Justin, you have such a powerful story. I'm just amazed and just, but I do believe that um, as brilliant as you are, uh, is it Christina or Christine? Christine. Christine. Christine, Christine is the star of this show, my friend. Just so you know, Christine is the star of the show, just like Beverly is the star of my show and Dory is the star of Bill's show. Amen. So, just how do you find common ground with people who may not see things the way you see them? Well, I try to relate to individuals. Um, I have, God has given me the gift of, uh, I'm a social butterfly per se. Um, I love to talk to individuals. I love to get to know people. Um, you go back in the gospel of Luke chapter number eight, where Jesus spoke to the maniac of Gadara. He asked him, he said, what is thy name? And I believe more importantly, I believe we need to come to know an individual. My pastor has said it many times. He says, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And so um, where I try to find common ground, I try to talk to an individual and not just as a we are, we're just passerbys. You know what? I want to get to know somebody. That's what I love about the ministry that God's called me to. Um, it's not enough for me just to go in there once a year and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, which I want to do, but I want to start a relationship to you. I want to, I want to build upon that. And so uh, in common ground, um, you know, just giving an example, I was in a prison and an individual had a hunting magazine out. And so we started there, something that I knew he liked. And he was looking at a hunting magazine. I began to talk to him about that. And so I just try to pick up on what, what, what is it? Where are they at? Is it the grocery store? Is it the sports place? Uh, is it church? Is it, is it the prison house? Where is it that's common that we can start on the same ground and just begin to work from there? We've got to build a base. We've got to build a foundation. Uh, the only way that I can do that is because um, I, I'm a born again Christian. Uh, Jesus saved my soul. And had he not, um, I probably wouldn't talk to anybody. Honestly, I definitely wouldn't be on this show. Uh, honestly and truthfully, uh, I wouldn't be alive today. I know I'd have already died by now. Matter of fact, I already had my, my whole life planned out. I knew I was going to take my life at 25 years old. So I'd already had everything completely planned out. Um, mm. But I try to find that, that, that area. Um, and, you know, sometimes we're, we're looking too deep. You know, we just see the person on the surface and just start talking to them for who they are. And so that's one of my, my, I guess, one of the gifts that I have is that that ability just to socialize. Um, you know what? I don't need to dig deep into your life, but what we can do is we can start talking. And it, believe it or not, when an individual starts talking, they begin to reveal things about themselves, which leads the conversation even further. Amen. 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 Well said. Well, Jason, it's been great to have you on our show. Uh, one more time, give us uh, how we can people can reach you in the ministry. So um, you can go um, through email. You can go to uh, jbushy at roapm.net. And that just stands for Justin Bushy. Um, you can email me there. Um, if you're looking to try to, if you want to help us financially, like I said, you can send support to Rock of Ages Ministries. As long as you put account um, 276 or Bushy on there somewhere, it's PO Box 2308, Cleveland, Tennessee, 37320. Uh, uh, you can reach out that way um, for financial reasons. Um, I ask anybody that's listening, and I ask people all around the country, all around the world, please pray for us. Um, that is number one, first and foremost. It costs you nothing. Um, it doesn't matter if you're being persecuted, um, as people are in the world today. You can pray for us, and we greatly appreciate that because we know God, God hears his children. Um, if you're a born-again believer, I want you praying for us. We covet your prayers. Uh, prayer is number one, first and foremost, before anything else. Uh, but you can reach out to me through the email. Uh, you can you can also, uh, like I say, financial support there. And that's just the best way to contact us. Uh, I try not to give a whole lot of personal information because of my ministry. Um, we have had to change some stuff because uh, we had some individuals get our personal information within the prison walls, which causes some some um, some scary stuff could happen. And so We've had to we've had to adjust on that. So I just tell people to reach out through email uh, if we need to get in contact, maybe on a personal. Uh, we'll we'll get together on that, um, and then we'll move forward from there. Well, well, Jason, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, your ministry is outstanding. Your testimony is spectacular. 
Odell, you want to have the last word? Yes, uh, Justin. Yes, sir. I appreciate you, even though Bill has renamed you Jason, but I know God names you Justin. So, <laughs> so Jason to Justin. Uh, so we're going to be all right. But hey, listen, uh, you're going to be receiving a financial contribution from Common Ground. So amen. we will amen. reach back out and make sure. And we'll say Justin, not Jason. Oh, I appreciate it. L let me tell you one thing about that. And this is just not picking on you, Bill. This is absolutely neither one of you. But I have found out that after you hit a certain age, no longer is my name Justin. After a certain age, most people call me Jason. So it doesn't offend me at all. It may confuse some people, but it does not offend me one bit. I've asked my mom, I said, Mom, if you would have called me Jason, I bet you people would call me Justin. <laughs> so uh, anyways, it's, it's something, I mean, we've got people, we've got people literally at our church, uh, they're much older in age and they call me Jason. And uh, you know what, for the longest time, I really don't think they knew. And I said, you do know my name's Justin. And I've had people say, no, I didn't. And I've had other people <laughs> said, I knew it, but I just, Jason just always came to mind. So it doesn't bother me even one bit. Oh, that's good. Well, you know, you, you don't care what name they call you. Just don't call you late for dinner. There you Amen. go. There that's you go. right. There you go. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events, Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.